Psalm 126 this morning. Starting in verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for inspiring and preserving your very word for us so that we can gather around it this morning and we can, um, we can submit to it, we can learn of it, we can be taught and encouraged by your spirit. We pray that you would grow us in your grace as we consider this psalm together this morning. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. It's always interesting when someone asks you uh, how you're doing. How's your family doing? How's your job going? How's your, how's your health? How you been feeling? Or when people ask me, hey, how's the church going? Um, it's, it, it, those, those questions are interesting, aren't they? Because like, if, it's, if it's just like that normal conversation where you're kind of walking by someone and they say, hey, hey how are you doing? Of course you're going to say, good. I'm doing okay. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Doing okay. No complaints. You know, or whatever. I, you, or we say something like, well, we, I could complain, but no one's listening anyhow. Or some, we just make some little, little, you know, some little thing. We just say some little thing, right? But if we sit down with someone and we know we've got quite a bit of time to spend with them, and they look us in the eye and they say, hey, how are you doing? How are you doing? How's your family doing? If we, if we start to really answer that question in any kind of big way, it becomes very clear very quickly that the answer is complicated. The answer is complicated. Because, of course, our initial response of, hey, life is good. That is true. I mean, God is, has been very good to us. We have much to be thankful for, right? But also, if the time is right and the conversation is appropriate and it's, it's a good time to talk about such things, we also have many things that we're concerned about, that we're disappointed about, that we're praying hard about. Some things are, are going great and some things are not going the way we had hoped. It's kind of like when someone asks me, because we, we, we went to Philadelphia last, or two weeks ago, our family did, for a family vacation. We hadn't taken like a, kind of a big trip anywhere for a little while, so we're, like, we're, we're going to go. And we, we love to look at... Um, like colonial and revolutionary era history. And so our family went and uh, we, we visited a lot of those kind of spots in Philadelphia and it was a good time. So when we, people ask us, hey, how was, your, how was your vacation? How was your trip to Philadelphia? I'm going to say it was great. It was good because that's true. I'll probably leave out some of the more stressful parts, right? I'll, I'll leave out the part where I was trying to drive into Philadelphia and I accidentally drove into New Jersey instead. I missed... Philadelphia by a whole state. Um, 
I mean, they are close to each other, but I mean, I just missed it by a whole state. And I had to pay a $5 toll to get out of New Jersey back into Pennsylvania. I didn't want to be in New Jersey in the first place. Nobody does. And so I'm, I'm paying $5 because I just, I, I, I turned left too soon. I probably won't talk. If you ask me about my trip, that's probably not one of the first stories I'll tell. So yes, it was a good trip. But like all of life, the answer is complicated. One of the most, one of the most um, complicated answers we can give is the answer to the question, are you happy? If someone looked you in the eye this morning and they said, are you happy? Probably our quick first response, yeah, yeah, I'm happy. Yeah, yeah. Especially, um, especially when we think sort of the way the psalm, the psalmist, the songwriter starts this morning with in Psalm 126. It's it's obvious that the people of God have much to be happy about. When we stop and we consider all that God has done for us, yes, yes, of course we're happy. God wants us to be happy. He wants to fill us with joy. He wants us to rejoice with gladness. And, and we have much to be happy about. Verse 1 through 3 When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Life was so, life is so good. It's almost like it's almost too good to be true. That's the idea there. It's almost too good to be true. Our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue was with shouts of joy. Even the other people noticed. They, they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. And verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. So if someone says, are you glad? And you stop and you consider the Gospel. You stop and you consider all that Christ has rescued you from. All that you've been given in the Gospel. It's almost too good to be true, isn't it? When we consider all that the Lord has done for us, yes, we are glad. But... Someone says to us, are you happy? We say, yes, 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 we are happy. But it would not be accurate to say we are 100% happy. That we are purely happy. We are, we are truly happy. We are actually truly happy. But we're not purely happy. We're not 100% happy. There, there are people in this world, and I know because I'm married to one of them, there are people in this world who care deeply about the difference between 100% juice and 0% juice. I have been asked to go to the store before to buy juice for the family, and I've come back with something that said juice in the title, but when you look at it closely, it says contains 0% juice. Oh, well, that's not, that's not what I was aiming for. Um, and there's just a lot of disappointment from my wife in those situations. <laughs> Yeah, you're supposed to go to get juice and you got a juice-like substance that contains no juice. Um, so there is 100% juice. That's what we're aiming for. That's what I know now to, what to look for. I know looking for the words 100% juice. You and I are not 100% juice. We're not 0% juice. We are truly happy. We do contain actual happiness. But we are not 100% happiness. We're, we are not purely happy. We are truly happy, 
but we know life is complicated. And that's fine. That's the thing that we have to get through our heads. Like, if you live your life trying to be purely 100% happy, you'll end up with 0% happiness. You, you, you cannot, in this life, get rid of everything that keeps you from unhappiness. True Christian happiness is complicated, and that's the way it's supposed to be. That's really the point of the sermon this morning. True Christian happiness is complicated. There are three reasons in this psalm why true Christian happiness is complicated. Why, if I asked you this morning, are you happy? You would say yes, but also there's a whole bunch of things I'm crying about. A whole bunch of things I'm praying about. A whole bunch of things I'm disappointed about. If, if, if you answered that way, I, w- I just want to tell you this morning, that's normal. That's the, way you should, that's the way you should feel. Three reasons for that. Three reasons why true Christian happiness is complicated. Number one, because true Christian happiness brings dissatisfaction. Number one, first reason why true Christian happiness is complicated is because true Christian happiness brings dissatisfaction. Verses three and four are the most fascinating verses. Uh, They're just, they're just, I love that they're back to back. I love that the songwriter has smashed them together. Look at the move he makes here. Verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Current mood, glad. Current mood, glad. We are glad. And then verse 4, he says, restore our fortunes, O Lord. Like streams in the Negev. The, The Negev is this very dry, parched region that just craves water or it just dies. And so there are ways in which we are glad and we are parched. We are glad and we are desperate. We are thankful for God's grace and we are desperate for God's grace. We are happy and we are dissatisfied. So the, the so, so scholars, Bible scholars, um, they tell me, in a very convincing way, that the psalmist here is almost assuredly talking about um, captivity. He's talking about Israel's escape from captivity. When it says the, the, the Lord has restored the fortunes of Zion, well, what it's talking about there, and, and, they, and they say that this is just very common biblical language for escape from exile. It, it means they've been released from their foreign conquerors and they're able to go back to Jerusalem. And so it's, they are truly happy. God has been truly gracious to them. They are no longer exiled in a foreign land and they're able to come back to Jerusalem. They have, God has restored the fortunes of Zion. It's so good, it's like a dream. They can hardly believe it's real. But there is still so much that they want to see happen. There are still fellow Israelites who have not made it back. There are ways that, that Jerusalem is nowhere near its former glory. So they have real, true happiness. But, but with that great happiness, it comes, comes great dissatisfaction. And that is absolutely the way it has to be for you and me today. Think about this with me. The, the more thankful that you are for Jesus, the happier you are in Jesus, the more you're going to look around and just wish that other people shared that same happiness. The, the more thrilled you are with the glory of God, the, the, the more you're going to wish that the glory of God covered the earth 
like the water covers the sea. You are going to long for the day when everyone glorifies God. The more you want to glorify God, the more joy you have in Him, the more thankful you are for the Gospel, the the more you're going to want to see the Gospel take root in the people you love, the people you care about. The more you love to be with Jesus, the more you're going to long for eternity. The, The happier you are in the Gospel, the more dissatisfied you're going to be. It has to be this way. It has to. And if you try to kill this dissatisfaction, you are also going to be killing your true happiness in Jesus. You you cannot have one without the other. Happiness brings dissatisfaction. The happier you are in the Gospel, the sadder you will be when you look around, when you look at the people you care about who don't care about Jesus, when you look at just sort of the, the trends in your neighborhoods or in your county or in your nation or in your world, you see the trends away from, away from satisfaction in God. Away from glorifying God. You will be inevitably sad for those who reject Him. You will be truly happy in Him and you will be sad for those who reject Him. There's just great dissatisfaction that comes and it has to be this way. That brings us to our second reason. Hopefully that first reason just cheered you up. Second reason. Here's our second reason why true Christian happiness is complicated because true Christian happiness calls for sorrowful sowing. It calls for sorrowful sowing. Verses 5 and 6, Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So the psalmist goes from, we are glad, in verse 3, to we are sowing and weeping. We are working, and we are waiting, and we are longing, and we are crying. We are glad, and we're all this other stuff too. If you are truly happy in the Gospel, you're going, to, you're going to want, like we said in point one, you're going to want other people to be happy in the Gospel as well, which means you are going to be sowing the seeds of the Gospel. You're going to be holding up the Word of God as true to those people you love. You'll be speaking the truth to others. You'll be pointing your loved ones to Christ. You will be praying for them. You will be weeping for them. You will be praying hard for their salvation, for their growth and godliness. And then you're going to be also just, you're, you're going to be dedicated and passionate about your own personal holiness, your own personal integrity. You're going to want God to be honored in your own life. You're going to be frustrated with your own shortcomings. You're going to be working hard. You're going to be repenting. You're going to be crying out for your own sanctification. It's just, it's a lot of sad work. It has to be this way. True Christian happiness always goes hand in hand with weeping and working. I think think that if we're not careful, we can start to to take the the 100% juice way of life. We, We can start to think that we have to be only happy. We have to be purely happy. We have to eliminate the stuff in our life that causes sadness, that causes grief. We have to get rid of all sickness, all pain, all fatigue, all stress, all boredom. 
we got to get rid of all that stuff. We can't be happy and have that stuff. Well, the problem with that, well, one of the, one of the many problems with that is that in order to get rid of stress, you've got to get rid of people. It's really hard to... It's really hard to, to have a stress-free existence if you're also going to, you know, be a human here in the world with other people. You, you cannot have a stress-free life and make disciples. If you are truly happy in Christ, you will long to make disciples. You cannot make disciples in a sterile, stress-free, no-friction no confusion, no awkwardness, no disagreement environment. If you eliminate the people who stress you out, it's going to be you by yourself. And you're going to find out, actually, you know what? I'm pretty stressful. All by myself. The, the people who need you to come alongside of them, to model what it looks like to follow Jesus, to encourage them in their walk with Jesus, to encourage them with the truth of the Word of God, the people who, who, who need you, and by the way, the people who you need so that you can follow Jesus, so you can have joy, so that you can learn and know what it means to, to, to understand and believe and follow the Word of God. You, the people you need, the people who need you, all stressful. You're stressful, they're stressful, everybody's stressful. It's not easy. There's disagreements, there's frustrations, there's confusions, there's misunderstandings. If we try to create a stress-free, 100% juice happiness, controlled environment, we're going to have to cut ourselves off from people. And the Bible is saying, no, 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 no. You, you dig in. You get in there. You sow the seed of the gospel. Are you going to weep sometimes? Yes. Are you, are you going to be exhausted sometimes? Yes. Is it going to be just a lot of waiting, telling the truth, modeling the truth, holding up the, the Word of God, and waiting and crying and praying? Yes. That's absolutely what it's going to be. And that's where true happiness is. That's ridiculous. No, it's not. It's the Word of God. It's not ridiculous. True happiness calls for sorrowful sowing. And then number three, third reason why true Christian happiness is complicated, because true Christian happiness banks on the future. Verse six again says, He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. The, 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 the weirdest, weirdest part about Christian happiness is that a lot of it is just simply anticipation. I, the only thing I can think of, the only, I'm sure you can think of better illustrations, but as you know, I, illustrations aren't my thing. So anyhow, best illustration I can think of is oh, when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, I was excited for Christmas to come. And not just Christmas Day. I loved uh, like the, the two weeks off of school. It's amazing. We had a holiday basketball tournament. I loved that. Family would be over for different Christmas parties. We had things at church. Uh, we, I, just, I loved all of it. It was just fun. And I remember having, like when after Thanksgiving, right? After, so Thanksgiving was great. Thanksgiving was great because you, you get to watch the Lions lose, right? On Thanksgiving. And then you get to have all those leftovers. And that kind of, then you, then, then you kind of transition into, ah, it's going to be Christmas time soon. 
and I would be actually happy just waiting for it. I had none of the blessings in my life at the time. I was still sitting in school, still kind of just waiting. I didn't have any gifts. No, no extended family was over, but I had real happiness just longing for Christmas to get here. And that is how it is for me and you. We have, we have real happiness simply longing for heaven. We have, we have real happiness. Because what we tend to think is we tend to think that happiness will come when that thing comes. Like, you know, I'll be happy when I get married or when I get a better job or when I have more money in the bank or when I get this health problem taken care of. I'll be happy then. I'll be happy, or in our more sanctified moments, I'll be happy when I get to heaven. And it's true. And you will not only be truly happy, you will be purely happy. I don't know how Jesus is going to do it, but we are going to be truly and purely happy. All of the things right now that we are legitimately sad about, that we have good, righteous, holy reason to be frustrated, to be sad, to be angry about here, Jesus is going to take all of that sadness away. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's going to do it. So in heaven, you're going to be truly and purely happy. But you could also be truly happy here simply anticipating that. Simply longing for that. And I believe that what the Word of God teaches us is that there is more happiness in longing for heavenly things than there is in actually enjoying earthly things. There is more happiness in heavenly anticipation than there is in earthly pleasure. So Christian happiness is complicated. It's complicated. And the danger is, if we try to uncomplicate it, we're going to move ourselves further away from the happiness Jesus wants us to have in him. And if you need more proof than this psalm, or in this sermon, (laughs) such as it is, if you need more proof, I encourage you to look to the earthly life of, of a man named Jesus of Nazareth. Was Jesus truly happy here on earth? Was he happy? The answer is yes. Of course he was. Of course he was happy. But we can also definitely say it was complicated. He wept and sorrowed and, and grieved and, and felt emotional and spiritual pain in ways none of us ever will. He also sowed far more than we ever will. He, he invested far more than we ever will. He gave His own blood. He gave His own body. He laid down His own life. And the promise of Psalm 126 is that, is that one day, one day, verse 6 says, He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. One day we're going to see this Jesus All of his humanity and all of his divinity. We're going to see this Jesus who went out weeping, bearing the sowed 
the seed for sowing. This, this Jesus who went out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, investing far more seed, investing far more than any of us will, grieving and weeping in ways that none of us will, we're going to see this same Jesus bringing His sheaves with Him. Shouts of joy. He's going to be bringing His harvest with Him. And who is that harvest? Goofballs like me and you. It's all those who believe His Gospel. There are going to be shouts of joy. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for a few moments in this psalm. We pray that You would help us, God. We live... I maybe, maybe every era has been this. I don't know. But it seems like for sure in the era we live in now that people have odd ideas about happiness. And we can have odd ideas about happiness, God. I confess that there are ways where I want to curate my own happiness. Where I want to ensure my own happiness by sterilizing my environment. By getting rid of anything that might cause me sorrow. Help me to remember, God, that sorrow comes with true Christian happiness. It's a part of the deal here on earth. And that if we're going to be truly happy in You, we are also going to be sad. We're going to be sad. We're we're going to be longing for the Gospel to do more and to take root more and for Your glory to be to be more prominent and more evident. We're going to want more, God. Help us to see that, that this dissatisfaction is fine. That, 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 that sowing is just, it's just, it's just work and, and, and prayer and tears and waiting. And it's just getting up the next day and doing the same thing. And that in all of that, there's real happiness. Convince us of that, please, God. And help us to be people who faithfully, faithfully sow the seeds of the Gospel. Faithfully pursue personal integrity, personal holiness. Faithfully live according to the Word of God. Faithfully live for Your glory. Help us, God. We thank You for the true happiness You give to us. It's almost, it's almost too good to be true, all that You've done for us in the Gospel. We thank You for it. In Christ's name, Amen.